Welcome to another episode of the Alter Your Health Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. If this is your first time listening, hello and welcome. We value your time and energy and hope you receive a lot from tuning in. As a listener-supported show, we rely on you to help us grow. We'd be so grateful if you share the show or a favorite episode with a friend or fellow health seeker. Living a healthy and nourishing life doesn't always come easily, especially in today's crazy world. But that's why we're here, doing what we love, hopefully helping you along with information and inspiration that fuels your health pursuits. If you're looking for more support, consider subscribing to the monthly Meal Guide membership. Just $11 per month gets you access to a weekly meal guide filled with healing and delicious whole food plant-based recipes, along with invitations to our regularly scheduled support calls where we can connect, answer questions, and keep the good vibes flowing in our healthy lives. You can learn more at www.alter.health slash meal dash guides. And if you're looking for more in-depth support, check out our other services. We offer both one-on-one consulting as well as educational programs. All of our current offerings are listed at www.alter.health. Our ultimate goal is to empower you to heal yourself. Keeping with that theme, let's dive into today's show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's Medicinal Monday on the Alter Your Health podcast. I'm Dr. Susanna. And I'm Dr. Ben. And we're both naturopathic doctors that empower individuals to reverse disease and reclaim their optimal health through whole food, plant-based nutrition, and mind-body medicine. And today is another Medicinal Monday. This is our first pre-recorded Medicinal Monday, so we're not actually live with you. Um, just have to you know, put that out there for full transparency. Um, but that being said, we're looking forward to talking about kidneys, your kidney health, and also your urinary tract, uh, of course, preventing and reversing UTIs and that sort of thing. Um, and this is, you know, sometimes I feel like when people talk about kidneys and urinary tract stuff, it's like that there's not a full understanding of what can actually be done. It's kind of like just kidney disease is just some mysterious thing. That maybe nutrition doesn't have that much of a role in creating, but the fact is that it most certainly do- does. And same is true actually for UTIs. You know, there's kind of, uh, of course, a lot of different causes for UTIs, but we're going to be talking about some of the most common nutritional and lifestyle causes uh, for urinary tract infections and how to, you know, get out of that cycle of chronic uh, urinary tract issues. Yes. But yeah, when we start, you know, kind of upstream, uh, when we look at the kidneys, another condition that is commonly discussed is kidney stones. Yeah. So I so, think. Yeah. So we'll talk about kidney stones, talk about kidney um, infections, which is for, of course is kind of a more severe UTI that generally ascends. And then uh, chronic kidney disease, which, you know, we want to live in a way to prevent that because that's kind of just a, a, a lifestyle thing that progresses with age. You know, if someone's diagnosed with chronic kidney disease, then the goal is to keep that from progressing further to the point of, of course, um, needing like dialysis or a kidney transplant or something like that. Um, but um, yeah, so chronic kidney disease is really just the decline in kidney function, which is, of course, a laboratory value that can be measured, your glomerular filtration rates, your GFR is a measure of kidney function. 
And um, as people age, it's kind of, you know, one of those things It's like cholesterol goes up, blood pressure goes up, kidney function goes down and all of these things that are quote unquote normal in our society are not actually healthy or normal for our physiology. Um, So yeah, which, which kind of condition should we begin with talking about the kidneys? Um, Well, you already started kind of introducing Kidney disease, chronic kidney disease. This one's the easiest, I think. Yeah. yeah. Let's start with this one. Yeah. And um, as you said, this is measured with GFR typically um, in laboratory tests. And yes, this is a condition that gets worse with age. What is the factor that is causing the chronic kidney disease, though? Are our kidneys just designed to break down as we age or what's actually going on here? Yeah, well, that's a good question. (laughs) The way that I like to think of it is the kidneys are filtering blood. And like with any filter, you know, you can imagine like a a mesh filter or strainer uh, that lets liquid through and keeps solid particulates out. Um, And that's what, of course, the kidneys are doing. They're filtering blood and what comes through is our plasma um, into the toilet and all of our proteins and all of the uh, other macromolecules and stuff stays in in our body. So we're dumping out um, some minerals, we're balancing our sodium and electrolyte levels, other kind of waste products and, you know, and and compounds and hormones and stuff like that. Um, But that straining mechanism, if we're, you know, living a toxic lifestyle, we've got a lot of toxicity floating around in our bloodstream. And if we're eating uh, a high protein diet, this is where nutrition comes in very powerfully and profoundly. If we've got a lot of blood protein from the high protein diet that we might be eating, then those proteins can kind of put a strain on that mesh filtration system and kind of start to degrade that filtration, that filter and what ends up happening is that filter kind of breaks down and some of those proteins and bigger molecules are dumped into the, to the urine. And that of course, you know, proteinuria, you know, and you, you can measure that with the urinary dipstick. That's a sign of too much protein in the urine. When, where does that protein come? It comes from our bloodstream and where does it ultimately comes, come from? It comes from our nutrition, what we're putting into our body. Um, So that's kind of the major number one risk factor for breaking down the kidney filtration system is, you know, nutritionally lifestyle wise is our high protein diet. And this is conventional, like common sense in the medical world. Like if someone has kidney disease, it's recommended to lower protein intake, but also, (laughs) also to balance our hydration levels, electrolyte levels, like all of those things are of course, so important. Right. Also, a couple other considerations for long-term kidney health. Uh, Having healthy blood pressure is super important because if we have elevated blood pressure, that's that puts a strain on our most delicate blood vessels in the body. And the kidney is one of the organs that has the tiniest little vessels. Um, So high blood pressure can definitely result in kidney issues, as can high blood sugar, because blood sugar, when it's elevated, is also very um, inflammatory and damaging to the blood vessels, especially the smallest blood vessels. So that's why diabetes and high blood pressure 
unmanaged, uncontrolled, ultimately does lead to kidney disease. Yeah. And you brought up this idea of those small blood vessels, which we talked about, you know, months ago at this point, when we're discussing our circulatory system, the vascular system, and how essential our endothelial function is, the health and function of that thin layer of cells that wraps our, our uh, blood vessels. Um, so when we're thinking of healing and keep in regenerating and repairing and keeping any organ system healthy, we need to consider the health of our endothelial cells and our mm -hmm. endothelial function. And really what that comes down to is living in a low oxidative stress lifestyle. That's why, you know, things like, you know, smoking and, you know, pollution and toxicity, quote unquote, like anything that gets lumped into that, that like description of toxicities, toxic to the body. Really what it's, what, what toxicity is doing is causing oxidative stress and the cells that are most vulnerable to that oxidative stress directly are generally those uh, endothelial, endothelial cells that line our blood vessels. Um, so that oxidative stress can cause kidney disease, of, of course, especially when accumulated over the course of a lifetime. So, of course, we know the opposite of that. The protective measure against oxidative, oxidative stress is antioxidative-rich, antioxidative phytonutrient-rich um, you know, compounds from our whole plant food. So it's just that kind of balance of high antioxidants, low oxidative stress, leading to you know that environment that creates healthy kidney function. Yes. So we can see that whole food plant-based eating optimizes kidney function because it, A, is generally low protein, relatively low protein to our, you know, standard American diet or mm. high meat diets. It is also so helpful in regulating blood pressure, as we talked about in our um, vasculature or vas, what was that episode we did? Cardiovascular. Cardiovascular health. episode. Yeah. Um, also so helpful in balancing blood sugar, like we talked about in our pancreas episode, where we were talking about blood sugar regulation. And also so helpful in mitigating oxidative damage in our body, right? Having these high phytonutrient foods, coming in and quenching free radicals. But also another reason why this whole food plant-based relatively low protein diet is so helpful for kidney health is because it also creates a more alkaline environment for the kidneys, which actually is a good segue into talking about kidney stones. Yeah. And before we go there, I, you know, you brought up the protein macronutrient. Of course, that's a very important conversation when talking about kidney health. And just to kind of put uh you know put our minds at ease we, we've talked about it before but we're not talking about becoming protein deficient we're talking about getting our protein needs but not excessively which is what is done with most diets especially like a standard american diet of course a keto diet or a paleo diet high protein diets um so really what we're talking about is just like you know, 10 to 15% of our calories coming from protein. Maybe, you know, I've been, you know, delving into more endurance athletic performance research. And, you know, there's some reason maybe to get like 20% of our protein or 20% of our calories from protein. If we're breaking down muscle a lot, using muscle a lot, needing those muscles to regenerate and grow like, yeah, 20%. But most people are getting way more than 20% of their calories from protein. So 20%, I consider to be kind of like 
an upper healthy limit for sure. Like if, if we're very active, 10 to 15% is great if we're not like in the higher activity category. But anyways, just want to kind of quantify that conversation around protein real quick. Right. But yeah, right. segueing into kidney stones, which is of course an, a, a severe acute issue. I'm fortunate to have never experienced this, but I know my mom has, and I know other people have ex- who have experienced kidney stones and I understand it to be excruciating. Mm, yes. Yes. And, you know, many people, when they think of kidney stones, they think the main issue is their intake of oxalates, dietary oxalates, because most kidney stones are um, calcium oxalate stones. And so generally what some people are recommended to do are to avoid the high oxalate foods like spinach and chard and beet greens are the three highest, uh, highest greens and oxalates. But it's important to know it's it's really not the oxalate's fault. Yeah. It's actually the environment, uh, the, the, the pH level of the kidneys. Is it acidic? Is it alkaline? Because those stones can really only form in an acidic environment. Yeah. So, of course, um, this brings up the conversation around acid balance and alkalinity balance in the body. And th- this is a big conversation, you know, maybe, we'll, but just to kind of like encapsulate it as briefly and concisely as possible. Essentially, our our blood pH is very tightly regulated, but it's regulated by buffering systems. Um, So one of those buffering systems is creating and is putting more calcium or allowing more calcium to stay in the bloodstream to create a a buffer for acidity. Um, So if we're eating things that are more acid forming and those acid forming things are just higher protein foods, mainly higher animal protein foods, like those sulfur containing uh, amino acids like methionine and cysteine, they create more acid in the body, creating more sulfuric acid when they're broken down. But also, you know, just junk foods, just processed foods when digested, create acid in the body. So that causes more calcium to kind of stay in the bloodstream. And when calcium gets into the kidneys, one way that calcium can kind of crystallize is by forming calcium oxalate stones. So if we have acidity in the kidneys, the calcium, the natural calcium that exists there binds onto the natural oxalates that might exist from our diets to create calcium oxalate kidney stones. But that's only in the presence of that acidic environment. In other words, if we have an more alkaline environment where our calcium levels are more tightly regulated and, you know, the, there's not the, the environment for those calcium to, um, create crystals in the alkaline environment, it's actually impossible to form kidney stones in an alkaline environment because of the chemistry, because of the biochemistry of that environment. Um, so of course, like you said, there's one kind of philosophy or fear-based approach of like, oh, calcium oxalate stones, stay away from oxalates. You know, now that I'm thinking of it, like, why isn't anyone concerned about calcium? (laughs) Should we, should we be tightly regulating our calcium intake too? Is it just the oxalate fault? Um, But of course it's neither calcium or oxalates fault. It's the acidity fault. Um, So, um, so yeah, rather than staying away from oxalates, you know, the way to really prevent, and I don't know about reverse, you know, it's hard to reverse a kidney stone once it's there causing issues, 
but you just got to kind of pass pass it for uh, for what I know. There are some things to do to manage the pain as in that process. But anyways, you know, the the prevention of kidney stones is really a matter of creating that alkaline environment, like you were saying, in, mm-hmm. in the kidney. Yeah. And so how do we do that? By eating plants. All plant foods, with the exception of whole grains, are completely alkaline forming when we digest them in the yeah. body. Even, you know, even the acidic foods we think of like tomatoes and citrus, they're actually alkaline forming when we digest them. Um, whole grains are just slightly acid forming, but nothing even close to what animal products. Yeah. And it was just occurring to me that some of the most alkalinizing foods are, of course, our green leafy vegetables. Mm-hmm. So those oxalate-rich vegetables are actually alkalinizing vegetables. So that's a good thing. Right. But but if oxalates are like a, a, a real fear, you know, it's like, oh, I don't know. I've got, I've got this tendency to form calcium oxalate stones. You know, I remember um, there's like some research comparing the oxalate level in spinach, which is kind of a high oxalate green versus kale, which is a low oxalate green green, excuse me, spinach has like a thousand times more oxalates. Um, So if you are afraid of oxalates or want to mitigate oxalate consumption, just choose the lower oxalate veggies like lettuces and kale. And I'm not, you know, I'm I'm not sure the exact greens, but there's a list of low oxalate greens (laughs) that you can find. Right. But it's important to understand. and, And we see this in the scientific literature that vegetarians and vegans don't have higher rates of kidney stones. They actually have lower rates, especially those who eat a vegan diet because eggs and dairy are acid forming. Um, So yeah. And you know, of course those on a vegan diet, we don't know exactly what they're eating in the study, but we can kind of, I don't know, assume that they're eating more vegetables and assume that their oxalate intake is maybe a little higher. Yeah. I guess if you might do this study in 2022 versus 2002 like 20 years ago let's face it there's a lot more vegan junk food that is acidifying to the body than maybe there was uh, you know 20 years ago it's true so it's true one other thing is that um it's interesting that our gut microbiome adapts to the level of oxalates that we consume and that when we do consume foods that have high amounts of oxalates we actually upregulate the growth of a bacteria called oxalobacter which actually breaks down oxalates yeah and i'm just remembering we did a whole podcast episode on oxalates and lectins and Mm -hmm. phytates and all these spooky phytonutrients that are in fact health promoting um so you can search for and find and uh you know equip yourself with better understanding of these phytonutrients uh if you want to learn more so yeah covered chronic kidney disease covered kidney stones more of an acute issue and then kidney infections kind of segues into urinary tract infections because it's kind of the same thing. Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, kidney, a kidney infection is kind of the later stage of a urinary tract infection, right? Because the urinary tract infection works upward starting in the lower urinary tract, then to the bladder, then it can ascend to the kidneys. And so when we think about <clears throat> how to prevent urinary tract infections, several things come to mind. Of course, the first and most obvious is hydration, right? Anything related to kidney health, we should be thinking about optimizing hydration. Yeah, and the hydration, exactly. Talking about chronic kidney disease, talking about kidney stones, talking about kidney infections, talking about urinary tract infections, hydration is key. And 
of course, if you've heard us talking about hydration, you know that when we say hydration and use the terminology hydration, we're not just talking about putting water in your body. We're talking about hopefully putting water into your cells, um, cellular hydration, which is of course required, which of course requires balancing minerals and getting a lot of our water from foods or mineral rich, uh, you know, produce, fruits and vegetables, um, but also mineralizing our hydration sources with mineral trace minerals, as well as, you know, maybe some lemon water, herbal teas and these things like that, that can help put water properly into our body. Right. Right. But when we're talking about the urinary tract, you know, it's, it's kind of like, regardless of whether our hydration is really getting into our cells or not, it's important that we're simply moving hydration through our urinary tract. We're just flushing things out because it's when we get dehydrated, when we're more susceptible to developing an infection because things just slow down. Bacteria can adhere to the walls of the urinary tract and then start to um, cause issues and inflammation yeah and of course that calls into question bacteria where's this bacteria coming from and um, there's interesting research that points out how again nutritionally people who eat more animal products have an increased risk of developing urinary tract infections and they have found that the actual bacteria that causes these urinary tract infections are animal-borne bacteria that sometimes um, can can spread from surfaces into our microbiome and disrupt things, um, but also can spread from our rectum and our um, you know microbiome directly to our urinary tract to disrupt things. Um, so, of course, the most common bacteria causing UTI symptoms is E. coli, um, it's tra- different strains of E. coli. And these E. coli bacteria are generally coming from chicken. That's what has been found. Um, so the chicken bacteria, either from surfaces or from the chicken that we're eating, disrupts our microbiome and causes a, a gr- an overgrowth of E. coli because we know that E. coli is just a normal, healthy microbe, not pathogenic, but an opportunist, as we might say. And this opportunist can make its way into the urinary tract and overgrow there to cause uh, symptoms. Um, So, of course, you know, when talking about E. coli, common treatment or way to manage that is the cranberry juice thing, the D-mannose, which is, of course, uh, an amino acid that helps to prevent the adherence. D-mannose is a sugar. Yeah, that helps to prevent. Oh yeah, (laughs) it helps to prevent the uh, adherence of bacteria onto the urinary tract. Well, so it kind of flushes through. Um, But I think, you know, I always have found it funny that, like, you know, drinking cranberry juice, like for sure, um, like cranberry juice is rich in D-manos, right? Like that's yeah. And then there's D-manos just as supplements, but I think we can all uh, agree that drinking fresh cranberry juice, you know, watered down because it's like really powerful can be really healing. Um, whether or not there's D manos in it, just because of like the flushing hydration, phytonutrient rich, like immune boosting compounds. Um, so, and I forget, can I, sorry, can I interrupt? Because I, I was, I was, um, distracted by the D manos sugar versus amino acid. Did you, did you explain how it specifically helps to prevent the E. coli from attaching to the yeah. walls. Oh, you said that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> cool. That's what I was just 
talking all about. Um, <laughs> so yeah, regardless, like, but I was also saying that, sure, maybe it's the demanos, but maybe it's also just the flushing mm-hmm. mechanism of, you know, a healing fluid that mm-hmm. is hydrating us, also providing other phytonutrients to help our immune system. Vitamin C uh, is, uh, you know, uh, cranberry juice is very rich in vitamin C and other phytonutrients. So anywho, cranberry juice, like very common remedy that actually works when the offender is that E. coli strain, which my understanding is like 90% of UTIs, maybe more. Um, but often, but sometimes, you know, it's another bacteria, which the D method methodology doesn't really defend against. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then there's so many herbs that we can find in tincture form or tea form that also help in the clearing of a lower urinary tract infection. Things maybe you've heard of like uva ursi and plantain leaf and um, zea maize or the, you know, corn silk, equisetum. The list goes on. And um, these can definitely be helpful, especially in the early, early stages of a urinary tract infection. Um, Which, of course, is it's really important to be proactive and mm -hmm. kind of sensitive to those early symptoms so that you can flush it through and prevent it from grabbing hold and creating kind of the more frank UTI symptoms. And then when that happens, yeah, like it's kind of a slippery slope. A lot of people do get looped into the antibiotic treatment and then needing antibiotics to treat it. And then there's antibiotic dependence or resistance or whatever you want to call it. And then things can progress to kidney infection. So we want to stay on top of it. And most importantly, think curiously about what's causing it, which is, um, of course, maybe more of a nutritional lifestyle thing. Definitely. Anything else? Um, Anything else? I mean, there's always like the hygiene conversation for for women. You want to wipe front to back, not back to front. You want to pee after sexual intercourse. Uh, you want to wear clean underwear, right? You want to, yeah. I mean, breathable underwear, cotton underwear is best. And of, of course, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, women, females are, are more prone to urinary tract infections because of their anatomy. And um, it's important to take care of that anatomy, mm-hmm. you know? So I think that uh, it'll be interesting to continue this conversation on the urinary tract on Wednesday when we're talking about the mind-body connection or brain-body connection because a lot of urinary symptoms can actually stem from um, some mental patterns, um, anxious patterns, for example. Yeah, So totally. We'll Well, continue our conversation on Wisdom Wednesday. Yeah, hope you learned something and feel free to leave any comments or feedback if this uh, resonates or if you've got anything to add. All right, everyone. We'll see you next time.